Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of If I Only Knew. Today, I'm here without Fred for once. I'm very disappointed to not have my uh, jovial co-host with me today, but uh, it means I can take this dark and deep and serious, however much I want to. Um, Fred will be joining us again soon, of course, but um, he wasn't able to make the recording session today, so I have full control. Unfortunately, you're stuck with just my voice today, but I want to do a little bit of a monologue to see how it goes um, to talk a little bit about how Australia has been dealing with the continued repercussions of COVID and this kind of second phase of COVID life we're living in where we don't think too much about it. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard enough talk about COVID and that's perfectly fine, but I've got some slightly different things that I want to say today and I want to talk a little bit about what it's been like living as a young person and seeing all my friends' different responses to the changes in covid Um, policy and the changes in our social approach to COVID over the last six months or so. I think this is a really interesting topic that looks at how our politics interact with society and the way that people respond to um, one another in difficult times. Now, is this going to be for everyone? Probably not, but it's worth talking about, I think. And I want to hone in first on this idea that different people are responding to this new COVID normal, if you like, differently and the fact that there are consequences to stratifying our society like that so first off in australia we've gone from a strong centralized policies protecting from covid to a far more like laissez-faire approach right um, this seems to be in response to a strong political will to put covid behind us but what has this meant for our society um especially when COVID is still around. Um, and I hope that if you listen to this podcast, you think that COVID is a serious disease, right? So COVID's still around, it's a serious disease, but we've kind of not had centralised policy about it anymore. Um, we're getting tens of thousands of cases in Australia a day still. Um, and in many ways, this was always the plan, get people vaccinated, then infections don't matter anymore. But there's absolutely still people who are at a high risk, even with vaccines. So how have we as a society responded to these changes in policy? Well, we've all taken different approaches to how we go about our lives now that COVID is around, but no longer the central focus of uh, government policy. Um, some people have chosen to take regular rats before they go hang out with friends. Some have chosen to continue wearing masks. Others have completely ditched thinking about it entirely. Um, and I think it's interesting to investigate how these different choices have been stratified across different lines and what the consequences of this stratification actually are. So I think the first and probably most obvious uh, thing that determines how concerned about COVID someone is are that person's health and their safety, right? So people who are immunocompromised or people who know and care for immunocompromised people are still absolutely very concerned about COVID because even with good vaccines, COVID is still a dangerous disease for many people in these situations. Um, So I think that this encourages people to continue to be conscious about COVID and continue to take measures to protect themselves, either so that they don't catch it and get very sick, or so they don't pass it on to the people they look after or care for, who themselves are immunocompromised. Now, I think there's another category of people within this idea of health and safety who are also concerned um, about those who are still vulnerable. And I think this is people who seek to make a comfortable space for those who are immunocompromised or care for those people um because masks are best when other people are wearing them right they're most effective at stopping me from spreading to you if i'm wearing them um then 
it can be important that I'm wearing masks, even if you're immunocompromised, which is a bit of a difficult thought for those of us in our Western liberal individualized states to get our head around, right? Like, I shouldn't have to do something for you. That's that's not how that necessarily works. Um, if I choose to wear a mask, it should be because I want to wear a mask, right? Um, but I think that's not a compassionate enough response here. And so I think it's really worth remembering that one reason we might wear masks isn't because we ourselves are at risk of COVID. Um, it might not even be because we have a direct connection to someone who is at risk of COVID. There might be this third degree of separation where someone where, where I'm trying to make a good space, a comfortable space for someone who is themselves immunocompromised or cares for someone who's immunocompromised. And I think that's really worth keeping in mind when we're asking how should we respond individually to these uh, lack of government policy around COVID. I would encourage us to think along the grounds of compassion. Um, so that was a brief discussion about how the choice to be conscious about COVID is stratified along health and safety lines, right? People who are more at risk of COVID or who know people who are more at risk of COVID are surely more likely to be conscious of this, right? That seems not particularly controversial. I've also observed some rather interesting um, divisions along cultural lines. And this is quite an interesting one um, that is worth investigating, I think, because it seems to me as if people of East Asian cultures seem to be wearing more masks, seem to at least be generally more COVID conscious. Now, what exactly do I mean by that? Well, it's a, I've heard from some of my friends from these East Asian cultures, um, because they were complaining to me uh, just a little while ago that the people at their work who were flouting the COVID safety regulations were generally of a more Anglo-Australian heritage rather than East Asian heritage. And I found that really interesting. Um, and I've, since then, um, paid a bit of attention to the faces around me at uni, faces around me in the city, that kind of thing. And I find it very striking how many people wearing masks are of an East Asian heritage when compared to Anglo-Australian heritage. Um, I'd encourage you to keep an eye out for it. I think it's really interesting. Perhaps I'm wrong about this, but I do think there's a cultural influence here. Um, now, why might this be? I obviously don't have a clear answer for that, but I wonder if perhaps it speaks to a greater familiarity with the dangers of this virus. Um, there was obviously some very early and quite intense outbreaks in East Asian countries, and so perhaps people with connections to those places have a stronger uh, association between COVID and danger. Um, but there might also be an element where um, people from these heritages could be more comfortable adhering to the COVID safety rules themselves. Perhaps mask wearing is something that has been done more so in East Asian culture um, for the last little while, and so perhaps they're more comfortable with it. Um, I think it's worth keeping in mind that one reason that people uh, remain COVID safe is the ease with which they can remain COVID safe, right? Um, and so if it's easier to keep on a mask for you, then people are going to be more likely to do that. So I think there's some interesting cultural things that influence how we've uh, responded to uh, remaining concerned about COVID, even in our uh, uh, current modern times. Um, now, there's also a final level of stratification that I've been thinking about in how people respond to COVID, and that is class and privilege. Now, I think it's pretty clear that class plays an important role in one's access to resources, one's access to money. Um, we saw some very striking examples throughout the COVID uh, pandemic where people of like higher classes were able to keep their jobs more because they could work from home more, which meant they were able to get more money still, which kind of uh, perpetuated the divide between wealth uh, between different classes. Um, now, I think we're seeing some of that that 
continues as we go about uh, this kind of second phase of dealing with a a new normal with COVID. Um, So I would say that generally it's easier for people with more money to live and work at home, right? And so the lockdowns have been more comfortable for these people with more money. So if you were confined to a one-bedroom apartment or didn't have the ability to work from home or couldn't improve your technology to meet the higher demands that you needed of that technology since you were at home... um, it's no surprise that being COVID-conscious still is that much more unappealing to you because you've had so much of a negative association with it. It's been an absolute hell to try and make that work in your life because your house was too small or something like that. Um, And so I think that it makes a lot of sense to me that these um, class lines play a big part in people's continued consciousness of COVID. Um, Now, is that the be all and end all of this? Of course not. There's there's no doubt that COVID consciousness is not dictated by class lines. But I do think it's worth keeping in mind that class and wealth has determined people's experience so far of how they've dealt with COVID restrictions. And thus it's coloured their thoughts about what should be done now that they finally have some freedom from government policy. Um, I also think that, and this isn't a particularly new take, but I think that education and faith in institutions like government bodies is also stratified along class lines. People of a um, higher class generally are better educated and generally have uh, more faith in government institutions and whatnot. Um, And so this may influence why we see like a a greater thoughtfulness around this disease in higher class areas and that kind of thing. Because if people are more educated, perhaps they're listening more to the um, science behind it, perhaps they have more of an opportunity to read more about it and to learn more about it. And thus they are able to be more conscious about it. Um, Obviously, these are not universal and none of these uh, stratifications define how someone will respond to this new normal of COVID. But I think it's really important that we keep in mind what it is that's influencing people to react differently to the world as it is. Um, Because I think there's a lot of animosity that's grown up around these differences, right? People wearing masks, being um, snarky to people who aren't wearing them, the people who aren't wearing masks, perhaps endangering and disregarding the safety of other people around them. Um, So there's really serious concerns. And I'm concerned that we're seeing a society that without the input of um, government regulation and policy is becoming more and more divided along these uh, different responses to COVID that have quite significant consequences for the people who are experiencing them. So um, how do we navigate these differences in a response to COVID with compassion? How do we do this in a way that allows us to remain thoughtful and kind creatures in a society? How does it, How do we live together with the fact that there is no unifying policy on how to deal with the continued presence of COVID. That's an important and difficult question of politics and of uh, individual responsibility. So I think that all these different approaches and the fact that the government's no longer providing these blanket safety protocols ultimately creates difficult social waters to navigate. Um, So I, and I don't have the answers on how we should navigate this, of course, but I do come down hard on the idea that COVID is still something that we should be conscious of and should take reasonable precautions to avoid. Um, I think that to say we should ignore it, it's useless, is is not being compassionate enough, not being kind enough to people who are still at very genuine risk of it. And I think that as people living together in a society, in a community, we should be compassionate for one another. And thus, for me, the compassionate thing to do is to be conscious of the other people around you. So, if people want you to wear a mask... It doesn't really cost you very much to do so well around them, right? Um, and so for me, that's an easy decision 
that one should do. If someone asks you to wear a mask, you probably should, because what does it cost you to do that, right? In most cases, the 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 uh, benefit that they get from you wearing a mask, from their feeling safe about that, is surely a greater benefit than the cost that you receive from having to put that mask on. A little bit of classic utilitarianism for you right there. Um, but what happens in slightly less clear-cut cases of being conscious of the needs of people around you? Um, so, for example, I tend to wear masks in my uni classes, even if I'm one of the only ones, because I think it's important that someone is seen to wear a mask in these classes. Um, I don't feel a particular COVID anxiety, and while I would certainly love to not catch this disease, I don't think it would be uh, a particular disaster for me for any of the reasons um, that I described above, but I don't want to catch it. More importantly is that I think that there's a benefit for me being seen to wear a mask in my class where other people who are concerned about COVID but feel they can't be the only ones still worrying about it might be given the opportunity to speak up or wear a mask themselves because they see other people doing it. Um, so because I believe people still have very compelling reasons to be concerned about COVID, I think it is important that we engage with people's continued anxieties over COVID safety and thus allow them the space to feel that they can ask for their friends to wear masks, for example. Um, creating that space can be really hard. Being attentive to what the people around you might feel about COVID is a difficult thing to do, right? Um, because it puts a lot of responsibility on us individually to seek out other people's needs, which is not an easy thing to do, of course. Um, I think the first place to start is being open and willing to listen if people do bring you concerns and worries about COVID. But I also think it's something we can try to do a bit more is being conscious about the needs of people around us. Um, I recognise that there is uh, something of a perpetual fear that COVID caused in many people um, that caused this anxiety uh, of COVID at the time when it was kind of at its most prolific. Um, and I'm glad that that fear is subsiding a little bit, I think, as we become into this kind of new normal, if you like. Um, and I believe that something that COVID is something that, as a society, we should avoid spreading but being of con a conscious of COVID is not the same thing as fearing it right and so I think my goal to be conscious of COVID isn't to encourage people to continue to be anxious of it because in many ways we've done fantastic things to address COVID um, but I think we can be conscious of COVID without being anxious about it and I think that's really important um, so taking reasonable and compassionate precautions to protect ourselves and people who are vulnerable is still important um, an interesting example uh, that I've observed in my friend groups of this kind of uh, different responses to COVID include asking friends to take a rat test before hanging out together. I thought this was very interesting uh, because I don't see it very often, but it speaks to the way different people process COVID differently. So this isn't a common occurrence in my social circles, but it happens regularly enough that I'm asking my birthday party guests uh, in a month's time or so to take a rat test. Now, I see this as an opportunity to provide confidence to my guests that COVID won't be a risk at the party, and thus we can all relax and have a good time. Um, and I think that that confidence is valuable, um, and valuable enough that it's worthwhile asking my friends to take rats. But I recognise that this might be an unusual practice. Um, so why do you think that people are not asking for this kind of confirmation in most social situations nowadays? Why is it unusual that we're getting people 
to take rats when we're hanging out with them. Surely I want to be avoiding COVID and I want to be confident that my friend doesn't have COVID. Um, but is it impinging of me to ask my friends to take a rat test? That's an interesting and difficult question. I think the inconvenience is worth it, but it's an interesting question to consider. Um, interestingly, the role of class and access to rats that I kind of talked a bit about before also influences this discussion. Um, so I don't have like a, a clear um, outcome on whether or not taking those rat tests are important or not, but I'm certainly asking it of my friends. And I think it speaks to the social differences that we see in how we respond to COVID. I've not seen many people ask that of the people around them, but I think it's a worthy and important thing that we can do to protect one another. And our concerns about continuing this protection from COVID seem to have been dismissed a little bit. Um, we seem to no longer be so concerned about this kind of um, protection. So I want to end with a brief comment about the political landscape that surrounds COVID in Australia right now that I think speaks to why we're no longer concerned about this. And I think that this kind of social and political will to protect ourselves from COVID has dissipated. And I think that's why people are much less confident asking one another to take rats, much less concerned about doing it. People no longer think it's a serious issue. Um, I take uh, issue with people who don't think COVID is serious anymore. But even if we only think COVID is serious for very few people in our world or whatever, we still should be conscious of those few people and should ask for security about COVID. So how do we navigate this, right? Um, as a society, it seems, or as a politically, it seems that we've decided that harsh COVID policy is not an option now anymore. But this means that we've delegated responsibility of handling COVID to the individual and I don't think many people are sure how to grapple with this responsibility. Um, and that I, I think ultimately that's what leads to all the divided responses to COVID that I mentioned before. Um, it also leads to considerable confusion, right? Um, so I've had friends claim that they're ready to go into work in hospitality just like four days after catching COVID because that's what the government was telling them. Now, is that what the government was actually telling them? I, I don't know. Um, but moreover... Is this what is good and safe for people to be doing in our community? Um, I don't think so. My understanding of COVID is that one should be a little bit more cautious around it um, if you've caught COVID, if you're going to catch COVID, and probably shouldn't be going out into the community at that time. But we've changed our narrative around it. Um, this observation that we've changed our narrative obviously isn't revolutionary, but the consequences for how it has divided our society among people who are choosing to be more COVID-conscious and who aren't is really important to think about. Um, it seems that we've lost the political will to do something significant about COVID, to, to even remind people about its existence, right? Um, not just if you're sick, you can go out quite quickly, it seems, um, but also um, some people are allowed to forget about COVID while other people, it seems, because of their own personal risk or whatever, aren't allowed to forget about COVID. And that creates really significant social divisions, I think. Um, I think it's worth noting, I didn't hear anything about COVID policy in the recent election discussions in Australia. We had a whole election in Australia and I didn't hear anything about what their policies would be about 
COVID, about how we'd address this into the future. And I think this is because politicians don't want to be seen to remind people of COVID because it was a really traumatic event, right? And I reckon that it's now become quite politically toxic to have strong leadership on this new normal of COVID. Um, Is that a bad thing? Is it not? I think it's a challenge. I think it means that we have more consequences as individuals that we have to navigate because if we don't navigate it, then we're just ignoring COVID. And I think that's a mistake. Um, there's a deep and difficult discussion that underpins much of our different attitudes towards these COVID restrictions, I think. And that discussion um, hinges upon when should some people's safety be sacrificed for the convenience or perhaps the economic and physical well-being of others. Um, and this has been a question across the whole pandemic, right? But it seems starker to me now that some people are in far more danger from COVID than others. Um, with our vaccines, more people are largely relatively safe from COVID, but people who are at risk remain at risk. Um, and so it seems as if we've become more divided. Um, obviously, don't have an answer to this, but if the government won't provide us with sweeping rules to ensure the safety of vulnerable people, I think it falls to us as individuals to be compassionate with the people around us and conscious of their concerns and worries. I think that it saddens me to see how many people make fun of those who remain concerned about COVID. And I see our society dividing along the lines of people who remain concerned about this and those who do not. Um, I think the question of how to navigate COVID is now a compassionate one that fall, as it falls to us to work out how to look after one another as individuals. Um, I don't think this is an efficient way to keep people safe on the scale of a society. And that's where the um, absence of formal centralised policy uh, becomes quite stark. But I do think that we can do better than we are now if we pay more attention to the people around us in this new era of politics around COVID. Um, That's a little bit of a crash course on what I've been thinking about this new normal of COVID. As much as I hate the word new normal in COVID, I think it's a very accurate description of our political approach toward this disease over the last six months. I think young people are concerned about this. Young people are conscious of remaining um, thoughtful about COVID. Um, And I found it very interesting to have some discussions with my friends about what they thought was appropriate to do outside, to what they thought was appropriate to to be wearing masks in work, that kind of thing. Um, And I think this is an important conversation that we have and that we recognise that we now have individual responsibility to look after people because of COVID. Just because those external rules have been taken away doesn't mean we shouldn't be worried about this. We're no longer children in primary school who have teachers that tell us everything we should and can do. Instead, we've had the restrictions taken away from us, from our overbearing government, if you like. Um, But without those restrictions, we have to make the decision ourselves to look after vulnerable people. I think we can do that. I think we should do that. Um, Thank you for listening to this monologue today, everyone. Um, Fred will be back for more jokes and dialogue next time. But I wanted to try my hand at pulling our podcast even further towards the serious side, I think. Cheers, folks. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production, with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes, and the opinions 
voiced by podcast hosts of theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bad Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.